much are you or your students being influenced by the culture? That is our discussion today. You are listening to Coffee House Questions, and I am Ryan Polly. Well, it has been a busy end of the semester here as I finished up with uh, Biola and getting kind of towards final weeks, uh, finals week of my teaching. And, and so it's just been a lot of fun, but a lot of work. And so just working on all that kind of good stuff and uh, excited to be back here with all of you with another episode of Coffee House Questions. You know, I finished up this week, or actually it wasn't this week, I finished up the, the school year with my students talking about the worldviews and how each one of them does history differently. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait, each one looks at history different? Absolutely. Worldviews affect our view of history. And one of the main ways that a worldview affects how you look at history is which information you think is important. You know, obviously, and, and I think we recognize this, you know, when when studying a, a past event, when looking at, at something that's taking place, all of us are going to see it from different perspective, right? We're all going to see uh, different information. There's no way that you can take every single piece of information into account. And, and that's why when detectives, you know, get their eyewitness testimony, right, each testimony is going to be different because every person is looking at it from a, a, a different viewpoint. Uh, but then you can kind of combine all of those views together to try to understand what really happened. And so each person is, is going to bring their own perspective, their own <clears throat> view of things uh, into looking at it. And sorry, guys, I'm a little bit sick um, getting over something here. Um, but that's how our worldviews are going to affect history. And so when we look at history, people are going to look at it very different. When a Christian looks at you know an event, we see... Uh, sinful human beings that are acting out uh, out of sinful desires of the flesh, right? Because, you know, we are inherently sinful beings that are in need of a savior. And, and so we kind of see also we see God at work throughout history, moving through either people groups uh, or doing uh, special events throughout history, history, especially, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, which kind of changed the course of history. And we just talked about that a little bit ago. Um, when you have postmodernism, postmodernism is here that, you know, the worldview says, you know, there is no truth. And so all you have is people's interpretations. Uh, you, anyone can kind of interpret reality the way they want. And, and who's to say that you're right and someone else is wrong? You know, that's just your interpretation. That's just your truth. And that's how postmodernist is going to look at it. And then, you know, secularists see it different with, with a process of evolution, you know, slowly making, you know, species improve in their abilities and their functions and their intelligence. And so each worldview is going to look at history very different. Now, each worldview is also going to influence us very differently. And the postmodern worldview is influencing and our youth in a way that maybe we don't understand. And that's what we're going to be looking at here. Now, I think that maybe we're a little too unaware of how other worldviews are influencing us or our students. And to kind of bring awareness to this, uh, the Barna Research Group just released uh, brand new research that they did along with Summit Ministries, which by the way, uh, I will be at Summit Ministries again this summer uh, at Summit California and if you have not sent your students to Summit, I think that there are still openings in the Summit Colorado location towards the end of the summer. You need to go. Summit Ministries is an incredible place where your students are able to see a complete 
uh, Christian worldview and really put the pieces together. Because here's what uh, Barna Research Group discovered along with Summit Ministries, and it's this. Barna's research shows that only 17% of Christians who consider their faith important and attend church regularly actually have a biblical worldview. Now, I think that's huge. We need to say that again. Now, this isn't just youth, but only 17% of Christians who say that faith is important to them and attend church regularly have a biblical worldview. So what worldview do people have if it's not a biblical worldview? Well, here's what they found. 61% have ideas in their worldview that's grounded in new spirituality or kind of this new age movement. We're going to look at that. 54% resonate with a postmodernist view. And this is what I think is huge for our students. 54% have aspects of a postmodern worldview inside of their Christian worldview. 36% have ideas associated with Marxism, and 29% believe ideas based in secularism. Now, you can find this at at Barna.com. I'll also post a link to this uh, at Coffeehouse Questions, and so you can find it there. And so here we we see uh, an extreme influence of culture on the Christian worldview and on students. And what is, is scary is that they also broke it down by age. And generally, there's a much bigger difference and bigger influence on the younger generation. Now, you might ask, well, what does it mean that there's an influence of new spirituality on Christianity? Well, for one, uh, 32% of Christians uh, had an idea of kind of this karmic-based you know, ethics, where if you do good, good you'll receive good. You do bad, you receive bad. Right. And, and, and this actually just came up uh, with someone uh, at church on Sunday. You know, what's the difference between sowing and reaping? And karma. But this idea of karma is not just, you know, we do good things, you know, and and there's something in doing good and and helping other people. But it's this idea that there's kind of this this karmic, you know, eternal, you know, universe, you know, system and power and force that is repaying evil for evil and good for good. Uh, What we also see with new spirituality is that uh, um, 28% of Christians. Uh, said that all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. And so this idea that there's just the one spirit and everyone is trying to connect to this one God. Now, when it comes to secularism, we also see secular secular, uh, influence on our students. Uh, A person's life is only valuable, is valuable only if society sees it as valuable. 13% said that they strongly agree with that. Um, We're 20%. 20% 20% of Christians strongly agree with a statement that making a pur- uh, sorry meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as possible you can make so you make the most of life. That the purpose of life is working as much as possible, making as much as possible. That is what 20% of Christians believe. Now, what about postmodernism? Well, here's what I think is, is crazy. What is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. of Christians strongly agree that morally right and wrong depends on what you believe. Now, here's what's crazy. For people over the age of 45, it's 16%. Under the age of 45, 37%. Let that sink in. 37% of people under the age of 45, of Christians, believe that morality is relative that it just depends on what you believe, that God has not set up this objective standard of morality. 
Now, I could keep going, but I, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Um, but here are the influences that we're seeing from our culture on our students. So, so what do we do? What can we do about this? Well, let me tell you how I taught this to my students uh, using a very practical story that they really enjoyed. And, and what I did is I used the story of the Little Red Riding Hood to teach kind of this idea of postmodern history, this idea of uh, everything is just interpretations to my students. So what I did is I, I took the story of, of uh, Little Red Riding Hood and, you know, I, <laughs> I told my students, I said, we're going back to first grade. It's story time with Mr. Polly. And I read the story of Little Red Riding Hood to them. And, you know, some of them uh, rolled their eyes and some of them uh, got into it, especially when I use voices, which that um, uh, is a little bit different for me. <laughs> but uh, I read the story of Little Red Riding Hood to my students. And then I broke them up into four different groups. And I said, now you have to rewrite the story from the perspective of each character. So one group was given Little Red Riding Hood, one group was given the grandma, one group was given the wolf, and the other group was given the woodsman that came and saved the day. And I said, hey, look, you are rewriting. You, you have an agenda. You have a worldview. You have uh, something that you're trying to accomplish. And you are going to tell this story of Little Red Riding Hood trying to accomplish your agenda. Uh, and, and kind of what we're seeing in our culture, that everyone just has their bias, everyone just has their agenda, and everyone is out just out there trying to get uh, what they want and kind of show their, uh, prove their point. And so my students spent, uh, it took about 10 minutes and they rewrote the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And then I had them each share the story and we compared similarities and differences. And man, this was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun, especially with the groups that kind of took a little bit more liberty uh, with trying to achieve their own agenda, right? We had stories of, of Little Red Riding Hood wanting to be the hero. And so rather than the woodsman coming and saving her, she showed up and she beat up the wolf and, and Little Red Riding Hood saved her grandma and she's the hero. Right. We also had, you know, from the grandma's perspective and, and the grandma, you know, didn't let the wolf eat her and, and the grandma saves the day and all this stuff. Uh, even even one from the wolf's perspective that the wolf was trying to be kind and compassionate. And it was a really cold day. And so he put the grandma in his stomach to keep her warm. And so when Little Red Riding showed up, he just wanted to put Little Red Riding Hood in his stomach as well did, so that grandma and her could play together. Um, and here's those are some of the stories my students came up with. And they had a blast. And I enjoyed really listening to it. And so each group shared the story from their own perspective. And so then I asked the students, okay, here, here we are. Let's say that all we have are these four stories. Let's just say you're, you're trying to figure out what happened at grandma's house. And so you go to grandma and you say, hey, you know, grandma, let's say grandma's still alive, right? Uh, this story ha had grandma still alive at the end. And you go to grandma and you say, hey, grandma, uh, what happened? And grandma tells her side of the story from her perspective. And then you ask Little Red Riding Hood, hey, what happened? And Little Red Riding Hood tells from her perspective. And you ask the wolf, you ask the woodsman. And each one is just telling from their own perspective. And let's say you get these very contradictory views like some of my students gave. I asked my students, can you know the truth? Is there any truth? And a lot of them said, well, no, you can't. And I said, well, is it? Now, let's think about this. Right. Is it still true that there, there is a true story? Now, each person might be giving you a very different view or they might be twisting the facts. They might be lying to you. They might be adding some true details. But is it possible or is it still true that there is a true story? Now, see, postmodernism will say that just because there are different interpretations, that either one, there is no true story, that all we have are interpretations, or they will say, yes, there is a true story, but we can never no, no one can give the full truth because all we have 
are just our interpretations and our understanding of reality. And so reality is unknowable in either one of those views. So is that what it is? Can we really not know the reality of what happened at grandma's house? Well, after kind of poking and prodding a little bit, we've come to recognize, well, yes, we can, right? You can do what detectives do. You can start looking for similarities in the story, right? You can start understanding how someone presents a different bias. And so you can kind of get down, you know, when the wolf is saying certain things or when grandma's saying certain things, you can learn what you can trust and what you can't and trying to kind of put the pictures. Where do the stories line up? Where do they agree? Well, we know something happened to grandma's house. There's a true statement that we can know of what happened. Okay, we can know that, you know, grandma went in the wolf's stomach, right? And you can start to piece these things together. And so this was a really fun activity for my students uh, that we took the story of Little Red Riding Hood, divided it up, and each one kind of rewrote the story to show their own interpretation. And so then the, that, that's the question that we have to ask. Now, just because everyone looks at it differently, does that mean now we can't know anything? And the answer is no. We still can know. There still is an ultimate reality out there, even if people think differently about it, even if people have different beliefs. Now, this reminds me of a debate. Uh, it's on YouTube. It was uh, on Faith Under Fire with Lee Strobel between uh, Greg Kokel and Deepak Chopra, who's a kind of a new spiritualist, new age movement kind of guy. And, and Greg Kokel talked about, you know, no, this is true that Jesus is the only way, you know, these are, and, and kind of was talking about how Jesus is the only way. And I remember Deepak Chopra saying, you know, but Greg, you know, everyone else believes it just as strongly as you. They all have beliefs that are different and they believe it just as strongly as you. And Greg Koch responded, he goes, exactly. That's why it doesn't matter how much you believe something that makes it true or false. It doesn't matter how much you believe something that gives it its truth value. In the same way, here, this stat, when it comes to postmodernism, it doesn't matter what an individual believes about morality. It doesn't change. If you think that a behavior is morally good, that doesn't make it good. Murderers might think murder is morally good. That doesn't make it morally right. That, there, that we have to understand and we have to help students understand. 37% of, of, of people under the age of 45 think that morality is relative. Christians that they don't understand that God has set up a standard, that the, the, the morality is founded in the nature of God. And there is an objective right or wrong that gives us and shows us how we need to live. That we, we have to understand that it's not just a bunch of bias, but there is a true reality. Now, that leads me kind of to my next point is, is sometimes, you know, it, it comes along and people say, well, you know, you're just biased. Well, yeah, everyone is. Everyone has a bias, right? Everyone has a perspective that they think is right. Everyone has their viewpoint on certain issues. They, they think that they're right on certain stuff. Is it wrong to have a bias? I don't think so. We all have a bias towards something. But just because I'm biased, it doesn't mean that I'm automatically wrong or that you automatically discount, discredit me. You know, on one of my tests, I, I wrote that the Texas Rangers are better than the Los Angeles Angels and they're going to win the division. Okay, I'm biased towards the Texas Rangers. And so I just say, well, they're better than the Angels. Well, that's just my opinion. And so you could say, well, Mr. Pauly, you're just biased towards the Rangers. And that's why you're saying that they're better. I'm going to put false. I think the Angels are better. Okay, that's fine. 
Now, that would be kind of a bias that's leading me to make a statement that might, might or might not be true. Now, but if I said, you know, I'm a Rangers fan, and so I have a bias towards the Rangers. But if I said, you know, the Rangers won the American League West last year. Well, just because I'm biased and they're my favorite team doesn't make that stat false. You can go back and check, and they won the American League West. You know, right now, I think, I think the Rangers are in second place in the American League. If I said, you know, the Rangers are in second place. They're better than the Angels right now. Just because I'm biased doesn't mean that that stat is automatically false. And maybe I shouldn't keep using the Angels as an example, considering I'm here in Southern California. But, but, ju- but the, I think the, the point that I'm trying to make is that just because I have a preference that I'm biased for something doesn't make my statement automatically false. Now, let me make one more statement, and, and I would love to hear your responses to this. Um, and so if you have your responses, I guess I didn't do this at the beginning of the show. You can send in those questions and those comments uh, about anything at contact at coffeehousequestions.com, on facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, Twitter at ryanpolly 3 or by text message at 714-989-6927. And by the way, I just want to thank all of you who uh, sent in a few episodes ago. I just said, hey, I'm just curious on where you guys are listening from. Could you just send in a message if, if I haven't met you and just say, you know, kind of uh, where you are listening from and kind of how you heard about the show? And, and some people did. And so I really appreciate that. And if you're listening now and you didn't do that, you have your chance to do that now. Um, but kind of back to what I, what I was saying. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because here, here's one thing that I talk to my students about. I think that the Christian bias is the only bias that causes you to tell the truth and play fair. Now, before you disagree with me immediately, I I want you to hear me out. When you look at ethics of each worldview and kind of how each worldview is set up, I think that it is only the Christian worldview that requires a person to be fair and to tell the truth. Our book made the statement in Understanding the Times by Summit Ministries. Uh, our book made the statement, and, and it said that uh, it, it, the Christian historian's job is to study the world and tell the truth. That when a Christian looks at history, their job is to study the world and tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Now, I think that is very important to say, because let's just look really quickly at these other worldviews. Let's say there's a postmodern historian. What is his job? Well, he can't tell the truth because there is no truth. How, how can you tell the truth about the past if there is no truth? And so you can't tell a postmodern historian, look, you need to tell the truth. You need to be fair to everybody else because all he's doing is telling his interpretation. And if you interpret it differently, then your interpretation is right. And so is his. And we all just have this relative kind of small T truth. And it's all just relative. And so you can't require a postmodern historian to tell the objective truth about the past. What about other worldviews? What about uh, Marxism? Well, Marxism is this idea of kind of this proletariat morality. If you are advancing the cause of Marxism, if you're advancing the cause of the the working class and trying to overthrow capitalism and advance communism, then what you're doing is good. And if you're going against the advance of communism and, and the Marxist ideas, then what you're doing is bad. And so to tell the truth depends on if you're helping or hurting the cause of Marxism. And so to, 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 you can't say tell the truth to a Marxist historian because you, you should only tell the truth. It's only good to tell the truth if you are doing it in a way that advances communism. In fact, if you lie and manipulate the facts to show that capitalism is false and that it's futile and that it's bad, then you're doing a good thing. And so you can't ask a Marxist historian to play fair. 
Well, when you look at secularism, we have a, a big a picture of, of relative morality within secularism. There is no objective standard of right and wrong because there is no authority over human beings that is imposing some sort of moral standard on them. And so within secularism and atheism, you have an idea of cultural relativism or even personal relativism, with, which is just as a culture, we have decided the best way to live that is going to advance our culture or maybe the human race. And this has just kind of come through the process of evolution or whatever it is that helps the survival of the species or whatever it is that is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. We have utilitarianism. Well, in that way, telling a lie, if it's the greatest good for the greatest number of people, then that would be a good thing. If you're going solely based on personal autonomy and that you can just do whatever you want and whatever makes you happy, well, you can't tell another person they have to tell the truth and they have to play fair. If you're just doing whatever you makes you happy, if that's what morality is based on, then manipulate the facts all you want. If that's what you want to do, then that's a good thing. Or if it's just whatever advances the greatest good for the greatest number of people, then if you can manipulate the truth and lie that helps the greatest good, then you're doing a good thing. And so I don't think that within the postmodern worldview, or sorry, within the secular worldview, you can tell a historian you have to tell the truth. In order to say you ought to tell the truth, you're, you're, you're giving them an ought, you're giving them a should, you're telling them there's something that you have to do morally, and that implies that there's a moral standard above them for which they are accountable to. But the secular worldview does not give that standard. It cannot ground objective morality. And so you're left with a relative system of morality that, it, that depends on the person or the culture. And so when you look at it, you cannot require a secularist to be objectively fair. However, when it comes to the Christ, Christian worldview, there is a high importance put on truth. That God is truth. He requires us to tell the truth and even says, thou shalt not lie. One of the Ten Commandments. And so if you have a bias towards Christianity, if you think that Christianity is true over all the other worldviews, then when you present the other worldviews, you should be fair. You should tell the truth. And it is wrong to be biased in a way that you manipulate the information to make Christianity look good and all the other worldviews look bad. We have to be fair. And that is a requirement of the Christian worldview. Now, I, I think one last point that, that helps this really make sense, and that is to look at the history of Christianity and see, you know, has it had this kind of this bias that causes them to manipulate information? I don't think so. When you look throughout Christian history, what do we see when it comes to, you know, history? Well, we see the Crusades. Right? I don't see Christians trying to eliminate the Crusades from the history books and act like they never happened. We have to own up and, and show and, and, and confess, yes, there were people that went out in the name of Christianity and attacked other people, that killed, that did horrible things. Now, obviously we would say, well, no, they weren't really doing what Jesus called them to do. Where did Jesus command them to go out and kill and, and murder and, and do these terrible things? But there were people that in the name of Christianity, that did these things. But we can even look to our own scriptures. 
right? We see embarrassing testimony in the New Testament where the, you know, Jesus was called a drunkard, right? You don't create a religious leader and then have, you know, say that he lie about him and say he's hanging out with sinners and he's a drunkard and that people think bad things about him. You don't create this awesome religious leader and then have him get killed. I thought those are not lies that you're going to create. If you're creating a fake religion, then you're going to create someone that is powerful. The early disciples are not going to die for something that's just this lie that they've made up. And if they're going to make up a lie, they're going to do it very differently. Let's go back even to the Old Testament. Right? One of the biggest objections to Christianity is kind of this, why does God allow pain and suffering? But even that a loving God would not command all the killing that we see in the Old Testament. And an atheist will say, well, this is genocide, even though it's not genocide. It's happening to multiple people, including the Israelites. But if there really is a loving God, why would he command the killing of all these people, of men, women, and children, like, it, like the killing of the Canaanites? Right? We're not just eliminating that. Now, that's a very different topic we don't have time to get into. But what I'm saying is, is, as Christians, we are not eliminating that from the Old Testament. We have to understand that that is an aspect of Christian history that has to be explained. But that's not even the worst of it. Right? You can look at the, the flood. Right? It's not just God killing one people group, but God wiping out the entire world except for one family. That is something that we have to say, hey, this happened. It doesn't make Christianity look good, but we have to be honest and say this happened and discuss it. But there's one more thing I want you guys to think about, and it's actually at the very heart of Christianity. The Christian story starts with God creating the world. Then it goes to the man's rebellion against God. Then God needing to save, send a savior, a rescuer to save the human race from their sin so that we can finally be restored into right relationship with God. That's the Christian message. But notice something. The Christian message is God creates a perfect world and he creates two human beings that are sinless at the moment to live in this perfect world and they screw it up. They can't even get past one generation before they mess up. And we've been messing it up ever since to where God has to send his son to die for us, to make us right in him, because we can't even fix it ourselves. Now, is that something that you're just going to create and make up as a lie? To create an entire religion that says God created everything perfect, gave us this perfect thing, created people perfect, gave them free will, and they immediately just screw it up. And we've been messing it up ever since. And so God had to send his son to save us. And you read the Old Testament, God's chosen people keep screwing up over and over and over again, and they can't get it right. And that we are sinful people that keep messing up, and we have to rely on Jesus to, uh, to save us. If that isn't embarrassing or, or uncomfortable, then I don't know what is. And so I think that it's the Christian bias that when you believe Christianity is true, that you are going to accurately tell the truth about the world, even when it's uncomfortable. That the Christian is going to say, yeah, this is us. The gospel, it starts out with bad news. We are sinners. We can't save ourselves. But Jesus came to save us. When you look at Marxism, the, the, the system through, through materialistic evolution is going to lead towards an economic evolution. It's going to lead to this perfect utopia state. 
When you look at secularism, we are going to continue advance by, both biological and sociological and technological until one day we will become our own saviors, where some atheists even say that we might become immortal by being able to download the contents of our brain into computer virtual reality worlds where we will never die. When you look at this postmodern worldview, well, there's no truth at all, so we can't really know anything. And so you look at each one of these worldviews, we are our own saviors. New spirituality says that when you go through the process of meditation, you reach higher consciousness where then we save ourselves. Each one of these worldviews is all about how good we are or how good we can be. We're inherently good human beings. That if you remove the problems of society, that we're good. And that's one of the influences we see from this study. One of the Marxist influences is that... 15% of Christians strongly disagree with the statement that if the government leaves them alone, business will do what's right. Only 15% disagree that if the government gets out of businesses, that businesses will do what's right. And so we have this extreme influence of these other worldviews on our Christianity. So how are your students influenced? Do they think that everything is just interpretation and that truth is based on your personal interpretation? Or do they understand that there's an objective reality, there's an objective reality, an objective morality, and we have to accurately tell the truth about that and show that the Christian worldview is true because Christianity best explains the world around us. I hope you guys have an awesome week. Please go to coffeehousequestions.com, the Facebook page, or the text message number. Send in those questions and comments. I'd love to hear back from you guys. And send your students to Summit Ministries. This is Coffee House Questions with Brian Paul. God bless. Won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide my way.